Hello, this is Meaning What? I'm Matt Wiseman. So it's been a hard week. Super Tuesday was a letdown. It was a wake-up call. And I think we need to be humble. And we need to approach it with curiosity. And we need to find out how we can reach more people. How we can grow the movement for Bernie Sanders' 2020 campaign. How we can include more people and help them. We're, We're... interested in human decency. We're interested in solidarity. We need to look at where we might have gone wrong and how we can do better. So uh, today, I have a few subjects I'd like to talk about. Voter suppression, the the constituency of the black vote, uh, and a little bit about Latinos, but mostly about the black vote, the southern older black people that were very um, important in Super Tuesday going towards Joe Biden and uh, the new consolidation coalition he's got of all of the establishment. And then lastly, let's talk about the Biden campaign. Let's talk about who he is um, now that he's actually a figure that's more formidable than he was even a week ago. Tomorrow was a big day and we need to see if we can include more people and if we're going to have a future with Bernie Sanders as the President of the United States of America. Okay, that being said, let's start. Voter suppression. It's been a thing in the U.S. for a long, long time. And it comes from a couple different sources. And I just wanted to discuss those sources so that we can talk about how it's being done and what we can do about it. The Republicans, they are very big in gerrymandering and redrawing districts so that they can get the kind of results they want. And this is just ridiculous. Um, They've taken people off of the rolls, um, basically looking at voter registration and kicking people off because their name is similar to someone that was a criminal, was a, you know, and lost their voting rights as a as part of their punishment in our prison system, which I think is absurd. You know, if if you, you don't stop being a citizen of the United States just because you're in jail, they deserve a voice as much as everybody. They, the punishment is isolation from society. The punishment is not insult and injury in addition to the, the prison confinement, incarceration. So gerrymandering kicking off unregistered voters or who they assume is unregistered. Uh, so they literally go into places and they, they just remove people and say, you're not registered. And one of the ways you can com- combat that was uh, same day registration. So people can register at the polling site and then vote. Um, and you can make gerrymandering illegal by state laws and federal laws even. And lastly, the RNC, they defund elections and they defund the election commission uh, basically making it less safe and less less of a public service to have elections, have election machines that are up to date and that are reliable. And we have to find new solutions around that, um, less secure uh, and having less oversight and, and being able to implement or plan future elections. So um, that's what the Republicans have done to interfere, to suppress the vote. Because they know when they suppress their vote, they usually win. Uh, Republicans traditionally use things like the Electoral College or the Senate um, to 
to have disproportionate power in states and regions where there's less people. Um, those, those systems are set up so that rural communities could have more of a say in government than urban communities, which usually have a greater population. So they're inherently undemocratic. That's just how they operate. Uh, we can go into that a bit another time, but that's just so you know, in case you didn't know why Republicans might want to do this. They stay in power and they make money because they do this. It pays. Next, um, what does the uh, Democrats, what do they do, the Democratic Party, to suppress the vote? Well, um, they have this blind trust in technology. Uh, and you saw that with the Shadow app in Iowa, uh, the Iowa caucus. The whole caucus system is very archaic and and has been gone the decline, hopefully, after Harry Reid spoke out after Nevada, that the, the caucus system may be a thing of the past. Uh, every election cycle, it seems to be going down, down, down as far as significance. Uh, and, and in the caucus system, you actually have to stand next to your boss or your clergy member or respected leaders, and you have to vote for who you want to vote for, even if they're standing right next to you and looking at you. So inherently... There is a bias towards groupthink, you know, towards uh, this, how is this going to react on my community? Um, am I going to be able to vote my conscience just because you're doing it in a public system? The advantage is that there is a second, if you don't have legitimacy, you can have a second uh, ranked choice. You can redraw your, your vote for somebody else. You still have to just get in that line, but that allows you to still keep your vote even if your candidate is not viable, is what they say. So the caucus system is most likely a thing of the past. Uh, there is a thing called ranked choice where you can make a list and that will be sent in to the election commission and then they'll make the uh, calculations based on that. If your first choice candidate isn't viable, then your second choice becomes the one that you vote for or third or fourth, you know, so that you can kind of vote on policies if people are running on one or two policies um, and you don't feel like you're going to throw your vote away. It's a big deal in this election when, when there is somebody who is very ideologically opposed to everything we have. And then there is somebody who is very much a status quo person. And that's just on the democratic side. So it's something to consider. So the, the, the technology adaption by the democratic party uh, next, they, they reduce the number of machines and voter sites state by state. And this could be a little bit of the Democratic, uh, no, the Republican influence, because you see this in places like Texas. But you also see it in California. So there is this Republican constituency there. So it's possible they did this. But I wouldn't put it past the Democrats either. Um, and we saw during Super Tuesday that people were waiting in line for seven hours, eight hours, so they could cast their votes. And that has to suppress the vote. You know, people don't want to wait if they have a choice, you know, and if they're going before work or they're going after work and they're tired, they might just leave and not vote. And then their vote doesn't get counted. And especially something like primary system where you're not just winner take all, but every vote gets counted and there's delegates awarded based on every single vote. If you don't have enough machines in one district, you are affecting the delegate count. If you have people waiting that either don't get counted because the poll site closes while they're waiting in line or they um, they leave because they're waiting, that suppresses the vote. 
And those are serious issues. And we saw that in California. We saw that in Texas and on Super Tuesday. And these are things we need to address. It's not something we could just live with. Uh, and then next, the, the electorate can suppress the vote themselves, right? So most voters are not registered Democrat or Republican. They are independents. And traditionally, what the media would have us believe and the Democratic Party would have us to believe, and even the Republicans to a degree, is that if you want to elicit the votes of the independents, you have to move right. Which is kind of strange. If you're a Republican, you say, I have to move right go further right if I'm a moderate so that I can get the Democratic vote or the independents that are out there are further to the right. But for the Democrats, they often say they have to move right towards the Republican position so that they can reach a consensus or pull over some Republicans. But I think that the, the independent vote is actually on par or bigger than both the Democrats and the Republicans together. So I think it's like 55% of both Democrats and Republicans, and then like 40-something percent for um, for independents. So the biggest group is independents. And then the independents can be these progressives, can be people that believe in Bernie Sanders. They can be, you know, ultra-conservative. They can be people that are disaffected. It, it, it It's not a monolithic group. But to say that the way at which I can get elected and the only way to get elected is to move to the right is this fallacy we've been propagating for a long time and it's it's definitely part of the media establishment and it's part of the uh the neoliberal model uh which we talked about before but you know the this idea that we need to go towards consensus anyway so we must you know support the other side when we vote we have to think about the republicans who are going to vote for a democrat which i think is kind of absurd um so then there's this, uh, after the most of, most of them, uh, the electorate suppressing their own vote because they are independent. Um, most of the electorate is independent. Then there's the idea of a safe candidate is a moderate candidate, you know, someone who is part of the status quo. And the status quo has been this extremist group. You know, they're pro-war, they're pro-aggressively global trade, they're pro-technology, um, they're pro the knowledge economy and the gig economy, and they're um, anti-regulation. This is just broad swaths. Obviously, the Republicans are more aggressive in these ways, but you can see both of the establishment and the status quo are like this. This is what makes them extreme. They're pro privatization. They're pro prisons. They're you know private prisons, um, pro incarceration, pro police state, and even to a authoritarian point you know that's one of the things that bloomberg was doing when he was going there and we have somebody like donald trump supporting bloomberg's position but you don't really get a lot of pushback from somebody like joe biden so um they're extremists we're getting run by extremists into an extreme position away from democracy away from the things that people want Popular positions are Medicare for all, a single parish system. Right now, exit polls and all these view these points, um, and all the the people that have already voted, it's still fifty percent or more are supporting doing away entirely with private insurance in favor of a government single payer system, and that's the most aggressive framing you could imagine, and people are still supporting it. So I I suspect it'd be more if they didn't frame it that way. If they said, 
you know, if you're on inferior insurance, you'll get superior insurance through the government in a single payer at the point of use. And private insurance would can be supplemental and you could use it, but it would be at the point of use. And it's up to you. And yes, the insurance company will change because the government will have a bigger role. And because of this de- deregulation, this extremist position that is the status quo, they've been moving out of the role at all. Even with the uh, Affordable Health Care Act, the Obamacare, they basically let the industry decide what it was going to be. I think it was the American Health Association. The American Medical Association is the one who really kind of wrote the bill with Barack Obama. And they worked out a system of incentives and, and caps and all of this so that they can get the private industry to do what they want the same way that, you know, they kind of push the the free market. But it's definitely still a free market. And once you say it's a free market, you're going to lose a lot of money in the middle. Medicare for all saves money and gets more coverage to people. It's not really a good that can be on the free market because you're not able to compare and contrast. You are literally stuck with what they tell you. Uh, And it's not a system most of the uh, economically developed countries use. So anyway, that's the moderate position. If you're going to do something about climate change, that's the moderate position. People want to do something about climate change. You want to do something about wealth and income inequality, that's the moderate position. Most Americans support these positions. The extremist position is to do nothing about climate change, just to continue giving subsidies to fossil fuel industries. And that's what Biden is going to do. And that's what a lot of these candidates were kind of pushing. And so it was a very clear distinction, you know, who's going to do what? Who's going to try and address these major issues of our time? You know, even the issue of trade is going to be something that Donald Trump's going to bring up. Well, the extremist position is to do nothing. The extremist position is to continue to push global trades, the normalized trade relations uh, with China, the the TPP, right, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the NAFTA 2.0, basically trying to renegotiate these global trade positions so that we continue to do the same thing. It's, you know, who are we looking out for? We lost our, our manufacturing sector and in, in a lot of that manufacturing industry due to NAFTA. We lost powers of the unions. We lost the middle class due to these big global trade um, policies and agreements. We, we're losing because of them. And Trump is saying something like, we can do better. Biden's saying we need to do the same thing. Both of them are extreme positions. Not only can we do better, we can do a lot better. So, and that's going to take a lot of work, but it's something to consider. Lastly, first, you know, we have the uh, most voters are independents. Then we have the the safe candidate is the moderate, uh, which is now an extreme position, you know, which I've described to you why it's an extreme position to vote for a status quo candidate. The moderate is the insurgent candidate this time around. And, and lastly, and this is a very important one, and this goes to uh, people that are saying Bernie or bust, it's the youth vote. Right now, there's people in the Democratic Party that are voting for who they think is going to win. And they think that the status quo candidate is going to win, and that all the status quo candidates have gotten behind that person, and that means they're going to win. They will not. Um, because that's what Hillary Clinton did in 2016. They will not win. You need to 
go towards the youth vote. You need to go to, towards this class and generational divide that we're seeing is that the younger people are not going to be the vote blue no matter who. Even if a lot of the surrogates and a lot of the public people that are part of the Our Revolution movement, that are part of Bernie Sanders' campaign, say, I will encourage everybody, I will do rallies. At the end of the day, the youth voter is voting on values. They don't care about the Democratic Party. In fact, they probably hate the Democratic Party. And that's one of the reasons they're voting for the insurgent. So if you want to win against Donald Trump, you need to move to them because they're not going to follow you. And I think what we've seen in Super Tuesday is that the youth vote didn't come out as much for that very same reason. The, the youth in this country have been beaten. The whole generation has lost tons of opportunity and they've seen their parents lose opportunity. And so we have um, big events that have actually created this situation where you have deep cynicism. Even when Barack Obama was running in 2008, he was trying to say a lot of his message, his rhetoric was about having hope. You know, his book was The Audacity of Hope. And I read it and, it, and he talks about how pessimism and cynicism are the death of any kind of dream we can possibly have. Well, I agree with that. I don't think he was the person to actually do any of the things that we wanted or needed to have done. But I agree that he's correct in saying that we need to be hopeful and we need to think that our vote matters. But that's not going to be enough. It's just not going to be enough if you don't even start with any kind of policies that are going to include the, the youth vote. You know, I'm nearly 40, but there's people that are much younger than me in their 20s, even in their teens, that have put their heart and soul into the Bernie Sanders campaign and made this happen. And they're not going to go towards Joe Biden. They are not going to vote for any Democrat. They, they lived through the 2008 crisis, uh, financial crisis and the bank bailouts where no one was prosecuted and all these billions of dollars were given to the banks and they still have, you know, they're still around and they're still exploiting us and the regulations were put in place and they were all weak and they're still weak and now they're all gone and uh, corroded. They, they were around in 2001 when we were attacked. And they saw the response with the Iraq war and the war in Afghanistan. And they know, they know that they had to serve and they fought in these wars. And now they're here, they are finishing their careers. If they're around my age or they're a little younger, you know, their service and they're living with the reality of enormous debt with income inequality, wealth inequality, not being able to buy a house, not being able to do anything, not really even having opportunities. You know, you got to go into tech and tech is the only way and STEM careers are the only way. Didn't Joe Biden say, well, you know, you got to get into computers, man. You know, when he's talking to some kind of oil worker. So those people that were hurt by the policies under George W. Bush, under, um, under Barack Obama, some of those people went to Donald Trump. And a lot of them did not vote last time around. We can't control what the electorate does. And you can hate them. You can hate them for being honest. But what the voters are going to do, it reflects whether they think that a candidate has earned their vote or not. And Joe Biden has no support. He has no excitement behind him. 
He has the mainstream. Um, he has the establishment support, but that's not enough to carry you across the finish line. All right, so that was uh, about some voter suppression, about the, what the Republicans do, the Democrats do, and then what the electorate does it to itself. Um, then we have uh, this next topic is the black vote. Um, so when you're talking about groups and constituencies, you can call it the Latino vote as well, just any minority vote. But the black vote is what I'm going to focus on in particular. But it's, a lot of this goes for the Asian vote or the woman vote or whatever. So um, when you put things people together like that, they're not necessarily one thing. They're just not. They're multiple things with multiple backgrounds and multiple people, multiple age ranges, multiple classes. But because of certain policies, they've been grouped together. And they are not predictable in any way, but they are something that we can look at discreetly. And so you can make a pattern about that. Mostly lately, and we saw this in 2016 with Hillary Clinton, they vote for whoever the Democratic Party tells them to vote for. They vote for a status quo candidate. Whether that's right or wrong, they're... There's something we have to look at. So they're not monolithic, and they vote for a status quo candidate, and why? Well, there's three reasons I came up with why um, the black vote would go with the stand status quo. Well, it's possible that the campaigns for the status quo people um, are connected to connections and relationships, right? So they've been connected to the community. They have these relationships. They go back years, and people have a, a level of trust. They know what they're going to get. And they don't really want to turn over the apple cart. They know where things stand, and that's what they want. Uh, next is the policies. Okay, the campaigns have policies that reflect these people. This is the civil rights thing. How are you going to include us? What does that have to do with us? You know, is there any position for us explicitly or implicitly where you are trying to address some of the things in our community? You know, I would say Bernie Sanders has some explicit and implicit uh, policies with that. I don't see too much from Joe Biden on that. And lastly, from the uh, what the campaigns do, um, they communicate. They make an effort. They make an effort to talk to leaders in the community. They make an effort to talk to people that are on the ground. They get on the ground. They get in the community. They get people of the similar background to, to say, hey, what do you want? What are you looking for? What do you want in a presidential candidate? What are you looking for here? Um, and so that that's one of the first reasons what the campaigns can do and why this is uh, they they vote the way they do. Uh, next is the constituency, right? So who who composes of these groups? Um, what within their the constituency makes them vote for the status quo? Well. <laughs> It's uncomfortable to say, but there's corruption. Politics runs on money right now. And um, when you have leadership of the Black Caucus or so that are taking tons of money from fossil fuels or taking tons of money from pharmaceutical companies, millions of dollars, you know, you want to put a, a number on it in your head, millions of dollars, then that becomes something that are going to support. It always comes with a caveat. Always then so you have leadership in the government that are just not 
as focused as they were. They're not as revolutionary as they were in the 50s and 60s. They, they're not as, as faith-based. These aren't people that are coming and saying, we need to change this to be more equitable. We need to actually address these things. There is no Martin Luther King Jr. in today's politics um, for the black community. You have Joe Clyburn. He, he's taken million dollars from pharmaceutical industry. You know, there's a lot of people that are just part of the system and they're pushing the status quo agenda because they make money on it. And people, right or wrong, believe them. They trust these people. So that's the leadership and the constituency. I think it's also important to say that the, the constituency of voters, you know, the, throughout the civil rights movement, there was a big push towards including um, black people. There was a big push for activist, uh, act, activism and, and getting involved you know, the Million Man March and all these things that they march on Washington. Um, and so they were a voting block right away. And the younger people now are not. They don't feel included in their parents' movements. They don't feel represented in, politi- in politics. They don't vote. This goes to the suppression thing. And so when they are trying to address these things in their lives and they want their parents to vote, well, they say, well, this is what we've got and this is what we fought for and you should be grateful because things were so bad before. Well, it's not good now. It's not as bad as it was. No, not at all. But it's not good now. And when you have somebody like Kamala Harris who was running and she said, hey, I was, I, I, Joe Biden's a racist that he was against busing and I was one of those bus kids. That's important. And when he has Joe Biden's forgetting the, the first uh, black senator or the only black woman senator in, in Congress when he's right next to Kamala Harris, that's important. He's erasing her and she's on stage with him. And yeah, you could say that that's memory troubles or it was a gaffe, but this is uncommonly this is this is common with him. It's a it's a rare occurrence amongst constituency, no, amongst candidates. But it's it's common with Joe Biden to make these kind of gaffes in front of the world and on the world stage. Um, and and then there's another. Uh, it's uh, so when people get older, they usually get set in their ways, and they they end up becoming a little more conservative. And that's kind of the the trope. I don't know how much true that is, but you know, if it's true for the general constituency, it's definitely true within the black constituency. So people are less likely to change as they get older and they're more reliable in voting. And so this is one of the reasons we have the support we do for Joe Biden. That being said, it is against your interest to do so. If you're in the black community, Joe Biden is the extremist and he will lose. Um, so my last point on this is that, uh, why people, uh, within the, uh, black caucus, so the, the constituency, the voter or the black electorate, um, that we've seen why they would vote for the status quo. Uh, you have the campaigns, what they do, what the actual people within the constituency do. And then both, it's possible that these are not mutually exclusive. You know, you could have both of these factors working in tandem. Um, you had uh, Colonel West come out yesterday, and he was he was talking to black voters, and 
He's saying, I love my black people, but this is, this is a problem. <laughs> we need to not vote against our interests. We need to be progressive and radical. We need to bring out that revolutionary spirit. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm of the idea that everybody should vote their conscience and they should do what they want. They should vote for what they want, not for what they think somebody, um, somebody has connections to or has a relationship with you. Trust is very important. And I know that an election is a moral and emotional thing. It's a vote that goes on these stands that are kind of fluid. But if your future and the future of your children and the future of this planet are at stake, maybe we need to take a little more time and analyze the situation and try and hit it with some reason. Maybe listen a little closer today. All right, the last thing I wanted to talk about after voter suppression and the black vote um, minority constituencies uh, is Joe Biden. As I was listening to Michael Moore today and he was talking about how Joe Biden's campaign is a phantom campaign. You know, there was a thing in Los Angeles that they had actually a padlock and they closed their office before Super Tuesday. And that a lot of these states that he won on Super Tuesday and his campaign had won were actually, he had no, or like one office or no office in these states. So there was no bodies on the ground. There was no plan to get the votes from the states and he got them anyway. So you can say that, okay, this election is going to be the anti-Trump election where people are voting because they don't want Trump. Well, then I would say that that's the anti-Bernie vote, you know, and that is powerful. The, the mainstream media has been very powerful in distorting what Bernie Sanders is and what he stands for. Um, I think that if you are going to vote for somebody who's not making any kind of effort to get your vote, he didn't earn it in any way, and that's a problem. And and if you think he's the best to, to beat Trump, well, we'll discuss that in a bit. So Biden has this uh, phantom campaign. He's also, like, steeped in the Obama glow. Like, the proximity to the first black president makes him progressive, makes him pushed on this identity angle where he's, like, now you know, depending on the black vote and the black vote's always going to go to him because he has this glow from being next to Obama. All right. Well, even if you think Obama was a great hero, um, you should know that most young voters that are interested in these policies that are interested in actual record, they do not view Obama that way. He is almost as reviled as George W. Bush, who is considered a war criminal. Uh, and there's reasons for that, but he's part of the extremist status quo. You know, Obama has definitely continued the extremist policies of the status quo, especially when it comes to immigrant communities. Yeah. It, it, and that affects minority communities. You know, it, it, the immigrant communities he aggressively deported and now we have kids in cages. You know, we have um, Guantanamo Bay was a big thing when Barack Obama came into office and our human rights violations there. He didn't close it in eight years. Uh, 
the war in Iraq and the war in Afghanistan, you know, he condemned the the war in Iraq and made a big distinction between him and George W. Bush. And then the war in Afghanistan, he surged and put a ton of money behind. Um, and now the Afghan papers have come out and there's no objective there. We've been doing nothing in that country except spending American lives, spending, you know, uh, Afghan lives. Um, and spending tons and tons of money that could have gone to the people of the U.S. to for what? And so Barack Obama was wrong there. So as far as the Obama glow, um, that's something that's very real and probably misguided. Then we could just go into his record. Okay, obviously, you know, he was pushing NAFTA. Still a big fan of NAFTA, which decimated the Midwest. Uh, he's pushing the Iraq war. Um, I think he apologized for it, but not really. The Iraq war, we didn't find ma- weapons of mass destruction. Nancy Pelosi has come out and said that like she knew there were no mess- weapons of mass destruction. And she let Dick Cheney and, and George W. Bush lie to the American people to get us into that war. Um, this is one of the reasons George W. Bush is considered a war criminal. You know, He got us into a war that we had no business being in. Or no reason. Um, the bankruptcy bill that allowed people with student debt, uh, that we couldn't erase your student debt when you declared bankruptcy. That was something that Joe Biden did, um, proposed cuts to social security, his, the grand compromise or bargain or whatever they call it under Barack Obama. They wanted to, um, cut benefits to social security. Uh, so like just, just generally Joe Biden's got a bad record. He's got a bad record when he goes head to head with Trump. He's got a bad record if he goes head to head with Bernie. He's got a bad record. In fact, his record is worse than Hillary was in 2016. He is more aggressive. Uh, he's he, kinder to the banks. He takes more money to them. There is this issue of corruption too. He, uh, his son that's been brought up in the news. That's probably not illegal, and it's you know you can't get him for that. But is it right? Is it right that his his son can make fifty thousand dollars a month for a Ukrainian energy company when he doesn't speak Ukrainian? Maybe he's never been to Ukraine. He was a drug addict when he was hired. He sat on the board of Amtrak because he ride the train. He rode the trains. He was a lobbyist for MBMA, and his dad was a senator from Delaware. These things are highly suspect, and if you think that Donald Trump is going to go easy on him, you got another thing coming. So this is Joe Biden's history. And so just to sum up, Joe Biden is Hillary 2.0. He will lose to Donald Trump, just like Hillary did. So if you think he's safe, if you think he's some kind of exception to the rule, I have no idea what you're looking at. He is this extremist status quo candidate. He is. He wants everything to be the way it was with Barack Obama. The thing with Barack Obama is that that's what gave us Trump. He wants to not change the system at all. He just doesn't want somebody like Donald Trump to be in charge. So if the Republicans can take the insurgent candidacy of Donald Trump and then fall in line and curtail what their party stands for behind him, why are the Democrats 
so scared of him. The Republicans have coalesced, and now we have this new Republican Party that actually might help people to some degree. I sincerely doubt that. I will not be voting for a Republican. But the promise is greater than it was under Ronald Reagan. The promise is different. The populist has won. Now that he might be a fake populist, and I think he's proven that he's a fake populist who's only out to enrich himself and stretch what his powers, which were already inflated under George W. Bush and under Barack Obama, to stretch these powers to a new limit. And it might be too late. It might be too late to curtail these powers of Donald Trump. But you cannot do it with Joe Biden. If you elect Joe Biden, you will lose. Joe Biden has this phantom campaign. He's got the Obama glow. He's got a terrible history and record. And he's just Hillary 2.0. So today, um, thank you for spending your time with me. We discussed voter suppression, the black vote and minority votes, and Joe Biden's campaign. Uh, I hope to hear from you and see you again soon, and have a wonderful day. Don't forget to vote tomorrow if you can vote tomorrow. It's, uh, what do they call it, mini Super Tuesday. And like I said, vote for your ideals, for your values. Don't just vote because you, you think who's going to win. If you really think that Joe Biden has the best chance of winning, if you really think that Joe Biden represents your values, go vote for him. If you if you think that Bernie Sanders has your values in mind and has he represents you right now, but you don't think he will win, vote for him. You have to vote your conscience. You have to do what you think is right. You can't just try and be strategic all the time. I want the Democrat to win. I I think it needs to be Bernie. He's our best shot.